0: how good it is uh, to be together uh, to worship the Lord uh, with you all today. And uh, I'm thankful for God's faithfulness at work in our life. Uh, I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Peter uh, chapter 1 and find verse 13. 1 Peter chapter 1 and find verse 13. And while you're turning there or opening your device or whatever it is you're doing to look at your word, I want to... uh, just encourage you and say thank you for, uh, I don't know how many ladies made desserts for Tuesday night for our associational uh, meeting that we had here, 36 churches, uh, their leadership gathered here on Tuesday night, and uh, Russ Moore got to preach God's word around 5 to 8 that night, and it was just a great, great evening. And uh, he preached a message that spoke to my heart out of First Kings chapter 19 and Elijah, and so... We are uh, very grateful for how you all have served in that and uh, how you have served uh, well to provide that and just other ways that you serve. Yesterday was Crossroads uh, Life Center, Chili Cook-Off, and I know we had a team participating in that and some of our life groups made baskets and uh, you all give to that ministry and I'm really grateful for your participation uh, and representing uh, the Lord well there, representing our church family well, there at a crossroads uh, chili cook off. And then uh, for those men in the men's ministry that got our uh, camp out together uh, Friday night and uh, Saturday, it was good. I did not spend the night, and uh, but I went out uh, Friday night and then hung out for a little while and then went back uh, Saturday morning. And it was really neat uh, for those guys that were there. I think we had 20 guys on Friday night or so out at Boy Scout Camp, camping out. And, Fellowshipping and hanging out and maybe a 14 or so on Saturday morning that uh, listened to Barry Locke as he brought his dog. What was that dog's name? Katie. Tracy wasn't even there, and she knows the dog's name. And uh, so Katie, as he just talked about obedience, and he talked about how, uh, how we are called to be obedient to the Lord, and uh, he used as one of his uh, texts there uh, just... 1 Samuel 15, uh, where the Lord uh, spoke through Samuel the prophet and said that uh, he desires obedience because obedience is better than sacrifice, and he said that he would rather uh, Saul have been obedient to his word rather than uh, to sacrifice the fat of rams. And that's a great place to transition to today's message. We have been studying in the book of First Peter for a couple of weeks now and are going to continue to look at first and second Peter as we build a biblical theology of missions. And so if you're thinking, why are we working through First Peter and Second Peter? Because it's really important as we prepare our hearts for our Lottie Moon Great Commission offering, as we prepare our hearts to listen to the voice of the Lord as he calls us out and sends us out um, this coming year to be missionaries. And to be witnesses for him. It's really important that we understand biblically what that's all about. And so in August we talked about generational disciple making. And how important it is that we win our own family to Christ. And how important it is that we share with our kids uh, God's word. And so that they have this uh, wonderful witness uh, of faith and of God's word active in, in their life. But then we started talking about out of First Peter and Second Peter how God's called us To be sojourners and exiles, this idea that um, there is this identity that God's people have and this uh, identity he means for us to embody. And that identity he means for us to embody leads us naturally to a lifestyle that we need to embrace. We are different people, right? And we're not the same people we once were. And that's what he wants us to understand. And so as we consider today a lifestyle to embrace, not only that we're the possession of God, the people of God, we're this holy priesthood, uh, we're, we're not only this holy nation, this royal priesthood, we are these people who have been marked by God and he wants us to live differently than we once lived and the way that the world lives. And so pick up reading with me in verse 13, 1 Peter 1, verse 13. Peter writes, and he says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy... You also be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. You're building off of that idea that he's already shared. You are temporary aliens. You are alien residents. We are not built for just this life. When they bury us, wherever that is, and they lay our bodies in the grave, if you are a believer in Christ, that is not the end of the story. If you're thankful for that, say amen. Amen. And so he says, knowing that you, verse 18, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. A lifestyle to fully embrace, to understand, to say, this is no longer my life, but Christ's life that he lives within me. A message to proclaim and a hope to endure. This is our biblical understanding and our biblical theology of why we exist today. It's the biblical understanding of why we do missions, it's the understanding of why the Great Commission exists. We are not just here for a short time, 70, 80, 90 years, 60 years, however long the Lord gives you, but we are built for eternity. And so flowing out of this identity as sojourners and exiles, and us being a people of God's own possession, we are called to live holy lives, which is really a distinct lifestyle for Christians to embrace. See, the fundamental principle is this. If you're listening this morning, wave at me, because this is really important for you to understand the message today. Who we are determines how we live. Who we are in Christ determines how we live. And so if we are indeed believers, we are sojourners, exiles, these temporary residents, who we are determines how we live. We just don't live like the rest of the world. It's good for God to remind your pastor of that from time to time. I can get in the flesh. Can any of you? A few of you? Let's see just how many. How many of you are all right and pretty susceptible to being in the flesh? Will you raise your hand? And so this idea of, okay, who you are determines how you behave and how you live it's really important for us to be reminded that we are not to live like people of the world, but we are to live distinct lives in the world. God's people living in predominantly a non-Christian environment are to live out and embrace a lifestyle of good works and Christian conduct. Preacher, you've been saying now for three weeks that we are living in a a time, we're living in in a, a culture that is increasingly less Christian and that is worldly, that is, that is other or ungodly. And just this past week, Barner released some new information just about how Americans identify themselves as believers or not believers. And sure enough, what he released has just been holding true to that pattern. Less and less American citizens are relating to any kind of faith, any kind of belief in God, certainly any kind of belief in God, in a Christian God, the God that we find in the Bible. And so we know that we're just living in amongst ungodly people and an ungodly culture. And so what are we to do with that? Well, we are to make sure that we are demonstrating good works through our Christian conduct. If you say, is this a, a real theme or is this just found in First Peter chapter 1? Oh no, you're going to see it in Second Peter chapter 1. A matter of fact, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, if you want to look down there, in verse 1 of the second chapter, he says, Put away all malice and all deceit, all hypocrisy, all envy, and all slander. This lifestyle of holiness that we're called to embrace has some implications for us to understand. And so this is just by way of introduction. What does it mean that God's called us to be holy, he's called us to be different, He's called us to surrender our lives to him in such a way that the very character of Christ can be seen in us. That comes with some implications that we need to understand. And the first one is this. This is not the meat of the message. This is just by way of introduction. Our new conduct is based on the fact that we are new people, God's people. See, this call to be holy is not for everyone in the world. It's for God's people. It's for those whom God has saved. It's for those who he has allowed to be born again. It's for those who have repented of their sins. It's for those who believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is those who have embraced the gospel. For everyone who identifies as a Christian, he has uh, called us to this holy lifestyle. And so it's based on the fact that we are new people, God's people. Aren't you glad you're not the same person you once were? If you're grateful for that, say amen. This week I was sitting there Thursday and I was thinking to myself, uh, just a lot going on and I was praying over some things and I was thinking to myself um, just how faithful God is, that we are works in progress, that we are not through. For every trial that comes, for every temptation that comes, God can use that to build us, right? That God can use us. And so I'm thankful while I'm not the believer that I'm going to ultimately be, I'm not the believer that I was when I first came to know Christ. And I'm certainly not the man I was before I came to know Christ. Aren't you glad God forgave you of your sins? If you are, say amen. So this new conduct is based on the fact that we are new people. We're not the same people we once were. If you say, Pastor, I struggle with being holy. A matter of fact, I'm I'm unholy more than I'm holy. And I think about when I was seven, I followed the Lord in believer's baptism or what I thought to be be believer's baptism, but there's there's really no trace of holiness in my life. There's no real difference in my life. And I would just say to you, I would really talk about and think about to the Lord what happened to me at seven, right? Is the Holy Ghost inside of me? Is the word of God in me? Is there a new disposition that has given me a hunger and a desire to know God more? But then here's the second implication. The call and challenge to be holy is directed at the entire church. No one is exempt from this conduct. Therefore, elders are accountable to elders. Teachers are accountable to teachers in the church. Deacons are accountable. All, uh, all leadership is accountable to one another as we are accountable to the Lord. It, it involves everybody that is a born-again believer, whether that person is 8 or 18 or 38 or however old they are, Uh, This idea that this call and challenge to be holy is for the entire church. It's for us as Christians to be able to yield to an ungodly government. It is for us as employees to be able to yield to our employers and demonstrate holiness. It's for Christian wives and it's for Christian husbands to be able to submit to Christ and to submit to our husbands and it's for children to be able to yield and submit to parents and to be able to live a holy lifestyle. The church is the place where exemplary relationships and proper submission are to be lived out by a watching world. When Glasgow looks at us, when Barron County looks at us, when South Central Kentucky looks at us, when Monroe or Allen or Metcalf counties or Hart counties look at us, they ought to be able to look at us if we have been born again and we're a part of Calvary Baptist Church, and they ought to be able to say, the way that person lives is different. It's different. God's at working them, changing them, and molding them, and making them into a new believer. This implication is really important. Here's why it's important. This is the very reason why the church and its ministries are to be very biblical and thoughtful in the methods that we use to witness to a lost culture this idea that this call and challenge to be holy is for the entire church, it means that as we go about reaching the culture, that we don't look or act or smell or talk like the world and use cultural attractiveness as an advertisement for lost people to turn from their sin to believe the gospel and commit their life to Jesus. In other words, we don't have an outreach program where our deacons uh, employ some tattoo artists to meet in the Sunday school rooms, and we advertise to the community, hey, if you've been born again, come by Calvary. We want to get to know you, and if you'll do that, we'll give you a free $300 tattoo for free, right? Why do we not do something like that? Some of y'all are looking at me like, that's hilarious, preacher. I'm telling you that goes on here in America. So why do we not do something like that, right? Why do I... Not climb up on this this building without a shirt and tell everybody, if we have 500 in, in service, I'm going to preach some Sunday without my shirt on top of this roof. Why not do something like that? First of all, nobody would come. Would everybody say amen? But secondly, the idea of doing something so outrageous, right? So marketable, so out there to say, To a lost and dying world, this is what Christianity looks like. I would say to you, it is not what Christianity looks like. If you understand that, say amen. So here's why that is really, really important. We do not attempt to teach holiness from a bait and switch mentality as believers. Right? We're not out there peddling you can look act smell like the world you don't eat. you can come to Jesus and stay in your sin and you can be all right that is not the message of the gospel right the gospel convicts us and he changes us and he calls us to himself and so that second implication this call and challenge to be holy is directed for the entire church And then as we think about our life apart from Christ, when we are lost, we are reminded how we are now to live. I don't have to think very hard about what my life was like uh, before Christ. Carousing around, living for the weekend, Friday night, Saturday night, penny, nickel, dime, quarter, dollar, uh, poker games, drinking, um, poor language, Rolling bales of hay, lighting bales, uh, round bales of hay on fire. Getting four guys to roll them off over a hill in Edmonton. Right? Preacher, did you do such nonsense? I regrettably say I did such nonsense. I look back and I say, that's not who God's called me to be now. Right? So when you reflected your old life, now you recognize I'm different. And so God's called me away from that. And he's called me to this new life. And then lastly, this implication of holiness. A holy lifestyle and conduct serves as a witness for the hope we have within us. You see it in 1 Peter 3.15. It should point others to glorify God. You see it here in 1 Peter chapter 2. You see it in verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Why would anybody ever speak against you if you were just going about trying to do good? Because my brothers and sisters, we live in a sinful culture and in a sinful time. And people have itching ears and they will give themselves to anything and they will say anything about anyone at any particular time. But we are not such people. Right? Do y'all believe we are not such people? Right, we we hold our our uh, speech. We just don't just don't do that. We allow our conduct, conduct to be seen by others outside, so that they can say that person believes in Jesus, that person uh, loves me, that person prays for me, that person has my best interest in hand. And so, why would I share these implications? Because before we talk about and start working through verses 13 through 25, it's really important for us to understand this is no small subject. Sojourners, identity to certainly embody, but a lifestyle, a lifestyle to embrace. And this lifestyle, my brothers and sisters, is totally, um, it's totally outside of us. What, what do you mean by that? We cannot do this on our own, but it takes Jesus at work in us. If you understand that, say amen. And so let's unpack these verses together and work our way down through what personal holiness is. Certainly a lifestyle we must embrace as God's children. First of all, in verse 13, will you write this down? Personal holiness is an intentional preparation of the mind to hope in Christ. It is an intentional preparation of the mind to hope in Christ. Pastor, help me understand what holiness is. It is an intentional preparation of your thought process to hope in Christ. Verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action. Do you see it? Preparing your minds for action and being sober minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As God's people, as a people that God is making holy. He is setting apart, and the character of Christ is working in us. It is vitally important that we give ourselves to God's word. Last week, I made an error in something that I said. I wasn't clear. It wasn't necessarily an error, it just wasn't as clear as it needed to be when I was talking about election. And I said, if you try to back me in a corner and force me into a systematic uh, uh, theology, a system of theology, rather than allowing the Bible to identify me, that's an immature conversation. And I want to say to you, the deep doctrines of grace, the doctrines of scripture, that's never meant to be immature, right? We are to give ourselves to God's word. We are to study and to think deeply, to think biblically, and to think correctly about who God is and what he is doing in our lives. And so therefore, we prepare our minds for action. Here's what that means. It means holiness does not happen by accident, but we are called to prepare our minds action, Here's what that means. It means that we are to be very serious and thoughtful rather than shallow or flippant in attitude concerning our personal walk before the Lord and before others. We are to be thoughtful about it. We are to prepare our minds for that. Maybe your translation may use the phrase, gird up your loins. What does that mean if your translation says that? It means that we are not to be loosely clothed. In our thought process and what we think about our own holiness and about the Lord and having hope in Him, He's saying, set your thoughts in order. Oh, my brothers and sisters, you will never grow in holiness at the pace that God wants you to grow if you do not engage your mind to God's Word and you don't think deeply about who God is and what God is wanting to do in your heart and in your life according to His Word. It's the idea that... We just give ourselves to the Lord, and we watch him do a good work in us as we think deeply about that work that he's wanting to do. Jeremiah the prophet said it this way in Jeremiah 1:17. He said, gird up your loins and arise and speak to them all that I've commanded you. Do not be dismayed before them, lest I dismay you before them. What is he saying there? He's saying when he uses that phrase in the Old Testament, gird up your loins, when You see Paul speaking of that in Ephesians chapter 6 when he's saying, put on the whole armor of God. He's saying this, properly order your thoughts according to the word of God and according to the hope that we have within Christ. Don't just let the enemy play mind games with you. Don't raise your hands. Don't raise your hands. But I just wonder, how many of you are here today and you would say, preacher, there's sometimes in my Christian walk In my Christian journey, I don't know what to believe. I get to thinking about this. I get to thinking about that. Or maybe I'm not thinking at all. And this particular scenario is brought before me. This particular relationship is brought before me. This is brought before me. And sometimes I get so many things on my mind. I get so many things on my heart. I don't know how to properly think. I don't know how to properly understand. I just get overwhelmed. Here is what Peter is saying when Peter says... Prepare your minds for action and be sober-minded. He's saying, be dressed in readiness. This is what we find in Luke chapter 12. When the Lord says, be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps alight. We are to gather our thoughts because loose thinking will lead to loose living. Mental laziness issues or results in moral disorder. A disciplined mind is vital to a holy life. Proverbs 29, 18 makes it very clear we are called to clearly and intentionally think about our own holiness. My brothers and sisters, there are just some things in life that are worth the time. They're worth the time. It's worth shutting off that radio. It's worth shutting off the TV. It's worth uh, not being with some people to where you can just sit still before the Lord and his word and say, God, help me to think deeply about who I am in you and help me to think about how it is you desire for me to be a holy man or woman of the Lord. Abraham Lincoln said this. He said to be well prepared is important in so much of life. He said if I had eight hours to chop down a tree, I'd spend the first six sharpening my axe right? What does that mean? It means that you're just not going to leave this place and all of a sudden be this holy person, right? And that automatically your life is going to reflect the very character and conduct of Christ. What does it mean? It means that we have to think about the very character and conduct of Christ so that that character and conduct can come out of us and that we can demonstrate that. We prepare for everything under the sun. We prepare for careers, And for education, by studying, we buy insurance in case of car accidents or our houses catch on fire. We even prepare for the end of life by making a will so that our children or our loved ones can be taken care of. We must prepare spiritually for life, a life of holiness as well. And when he says that second part, therefore preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, he's talking about how we should think about our absolute assurance of future good. That's what the word hope means. It's the absolute assurance of future good. It means to look forward with the confidence in Christ to that which is good and beneficial, to express a desire for some good with the exception, uh, with the expectation of obtaining it. What does that mean? It means that when we think clearly and we prepare our minds for action and we're thinking soberly, we are ordering our thoughts. We're not thinking as someone who is intoxicated with the world. He's saying this, that we set our hope uh, on the grace that is found in Christ at his appearing. Sometimes I get discouraged. That I'm not as holy as I ought to be. Sometimes the enemy wants to tell me what a failure you are. Does he do that to any of you here? Right? That is why he says, you prepare your mind for holiness. You you remove yourself from being intoxicated with the world. And you think about, listen... On the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Do You know what Peter is saying? You're not a finished product yet. Don't let the enemy tell you that you're a failure as a mom. You're a failure as a wife. You're a failure as a uh, husband. You're a failure as a dad. You're a failure as an employee or an employer. We all know we're failures. We all know that we're broken, Right? But who we currently are is not what we're going to be at the return of Christ, right? He who has begun a good work in you, Calvary Baptist, is able to complete that work. And when he says, set your hope upon the grace that is found in Christ at his return, at his revelation, that's what he's referring to. He's wanting you to understand that we have a hope that God is not through with us and he is working in us. Wayne Grudem puts it this way. He says, such hope and the great blessing of Christ's return not only encourages downcast Christians, it also prompts a reordering of priorities to God's agenda and inevitably leads to ethical changes in one's life. Are you here today and you're a born-again believer, but you've not been thinking soberly? You've not been thinking clearly? You've not been preparing your mind to act and walk and to live in holiness? Today is a reminder for you to consider God is not through with you and he wants to finish in you what he has started. And he has this open invitation for us to give ourselves to him fresh and new to the word to allow God to work in us and through us for his glory. If you're thankful for that, say amen. Here's the second thing. Not only is personal holiness an intentional preparation of the mind to hope in Christ, Personal holiness is an act of loving obedience to your heavenly Father. It's an act of loving obedience to your heavenly Father. In verse 14 and 15. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. As children desire their parents' attention and approval, we acknowledge God's plans and parameters, and we seek to please Him because we love Him. Not only is this an intentional act for us to prepare our mind, right? It's an intentional preparation of the mind. But personal holiness is a simple act of loving obedience to your heavenly Father. Some order to this obedience helps us properly surrender to the Lord in sanctification and balance this idea of, am I made holy because Christ is holy and I don't do anything? Or am I holy because Christ is holy and he's called me to be holy, and so therefore I'm responsible for my conduct? And I would say to you, it's both and, and the way you... Uh, Come about that and think about that is vitally important for you to simply act in loving obedience to your Heavenly Father. See, we are obedient by giving God glory by being born again when we hear the gospel. How is it that we become holy? As we hear the gospel, God reveals to us who we are, He convicts us of our sin, or He allows us to be reminded and know that we are sinners and that our sin separates us from our Heavenly Father, here's what He's saying. That when we hear that, and we hear that God loves us so much that He has made a way for us to know Him, to love Him and serve Him, and it's through Christ dying on the cross and being resurrected from the grave, and because He has eternal life, we can have eternal life. When we hear that message, that first step of, obedience to the Lord is to surrender our life to that gospel message and to be born again by repenting of our sin and asking Jesus to be our Lord. That's this first step in this simple act of obedience. The second step is we are obedient by focusing our attention and devotion on the one who died for our sins through his word and prayer. We are not made holy by the works that we do. So I'll give you a great example of that. If you're here today and you've never been born again, and you would say, I've really been thinking that church is good for me. I've, I've got uh, kids on the way, or I'm a, a young dad, a young mom, and I've got some little kids, I want to make sure I raise them in church. And you're thinking to yourself, my life's not been what it, it should be, and so I'm ready for a new leaf, or a new lease on life, a new start in life. And you say, so I want to start doing this. I'm going to start trying to do better. I'm going to start trying to maybe use less profanity or maybe not give myself to some of these things. and I'm going to start um, abstaining from some particular acts and trying to give myself to those other particular acts. All of that, while admirable, is never going to work holiness in your life. Holiness comes by being born again, And then by focusing our attention and our devotion on the one who died for our sins. What does that mean? It means holiness best works in us and out of us when we are in love with Jesus. When you love him more than anyone else in your life, now the word of God starts to take hold in your life because Christ is there and the Holy Spirit draws your attention to his word. And the next thing you know, You are uh, like this. You're like this uh, child, and we're going to see that in just a minute, who wants to be pleasing to their father or to their mother. And so we are obedient by focusing our devotion on the one who died for our sins. And then here's the third order of this holiness working out of us. We are obedient by representing Jesus to a culture that does not know him. We do this in a couple of particular ways toward God. We begin to worship him or we have a biblical attitude toward him. The attitude of Christ comes over us. We start to think biblically toward others and toward other situations. We are marked by humility and love and gentleness and surrender and then toward others. We, this, this obedience is marked by character and speech and dress. It is marked by the kind of entertainment that we give ourselves to, the kind of movies that we may watch or the kind of music we may listen to. It is seen as we prefer others more than ourselves. And so there is this step of simple obedience toward the Lord as God reveals himself to us by allowing us to be born again and gives us a devotion for him. And then there's this simple act of obedience as we let that holiness start to work out of us toward other believers. You say, Pastor, am I responsible for my holiness? You are. You can't be holy apart from Christ, but once Christ is in you and you have his word, he wants that word to work out of you, right? So there are just times that we have to uh, either redial at our house. We have to make sure that we are uh, checking plugged in, right? I want to watch a shoot 'em up movie. And uh, we're sitting there and we say, let's watch a, this army movie or let's watch this movie where there's a bunch of heroes beating, beating the bad guys, right? Defeating the bad guys. And we'll say, check them plugged in. And Jacob say, they have 55 F-bombs, man, 55 F-bombs. And so we have to dial that back and say, maybe we shouldn't give ourselves to 55 F-bombs. Would somebody say amen? And so you say, well, preacher, doesn't that get into the law? No, it gets into the idea of what you take in will ultimately come out. Are, are y'all tracking with me? So if you're constantly taking in unhealthy ungodly, worldly things, don't be surprised if that comes out of you. Right? And it may not come out of you verbally, but I promise you, it'll come out of you mentally. You will think about it. Some of you have been a member of this church long enough, you would dare not cuss that little old checkout lady at the Walmart. You wouldn't do it verbally. Right? But you've done it mentally. You think, right? You say, what, what is that? It's all this world coming in, coming in, coming in. And we just have to make sure that we're backing away and we're saying, wait a minute. I'm a sojourner, I'm an exile. And God has this holy lifestyle he wants me to embrace. And so I may think like that, but for me to think like that is sin. And so I'm going to turn from that and I'm going to choose, watch this, I'm going to choose to have my feelings hurt rather than be ungodly. Y'all okay with that? Jesus wouldn't do that, preacher. That's the very thing Jesus did. Jesus said, I would much rather lay down my life for these, these sheep, these who God has sent me to rescue. I'd rather lay down my life than take up my life and defend it. Right? And he willingly went to the cross. So personal holiness is an act of loving obedience to your Heavenly Father. It's an intentional preparation of your mind to think upon the hope that we have in Christ. But here's the third thing. Personal holiness is a result of being redeemed through the blood of Jesus. Knowing that that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things, verse 18, such as silver or gold, verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb, without blemish or without spot. Here is the good news that I have. I've been hinting at it all morning, but I want you to write it down and embrace it. Your righteousness or holiness is not your own. It belongs to Jesus. What does that mean? It means this. There was a a double act of grace that occurred at the cross. The, The theological word is imputation. What happened at the cross? A double imputation occurred. It means that my sin, not in part, but the whole, all of my sin was given to Jesus, and Jesus bore my sin, He identified with my sin. He took all of my sin at the cross. That's the first imputation, right? That means that that sin is no longer mine. Why? Because Christ redeemed me and he took all of that sin from me and he took it to himself. And that just blows me away, does it not you? And so this the very first act of imputation is that the very thing that we were dead in our trespasses and sin all of us had sinned and fallen short of the glory of God Jesus says give me that and he takes that upon himself he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the very righteousness of God that's the second step of imputation occurred at the cross Jesus imputed his righteousness to us That means it was accredited to us, not in part, but the whole. We can be holy because it is the holiness of Christ that is working out of us. So he not only takes our sin, but he accredits to us all of his righteousness. How many of you have been born again? Will you raise your hand? I'm looking at a bunch of righteous people, hold them high. It's not because of who you are. Hold them high. Y'all, man, if we are at the ball game, y'all be holding them high. Hold them high. Watch this. You have been born again, and if you have been born again, the righteousness of Christ, the holiness of God, has been imputed to you, accredited to you. You are not who you once were. If you're grateful to that, to God for that, say amen. This personal holiness is an act. Of a loving obedience to our Heavenly Father. And it's a result of us being redeemed through the blood of Jesus. Oh, my brothers and sisters. The grace that God affords is so rich and powerful. We could never have paid it. But boy, God paid it through His Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And then lastly, as you stand to your feet. Personal holiness comes by devotion. Devotion. To God's word and love for others. Verses twenty-two through twenty-five. Listen to what he says: Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly. Excuse me, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. This personal holiness comes by devotion to God's word and love for others. What does that mean? It means that we spend time in the word of God, believing the word of God is absolutely and completely the truth. It's the truth of God as spoken and seen in scripture. Preacher, that's your problem. You believe that old Bible. That's never a problem. That's a blessing. Preacher, you know that Bible was written by men. Men of old who were inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. Do you think that a man or a woman, if God did not choose to reveal himself and to speak and to make himself known, do you think that we have the capability of knowing God and approaching him and figuring him out and... uh, And saying this is who God is. When we do that. We have idols that we make up. But the living God. Has spoken. And he has revealed himself. So you know you are growing in holiness. When you love others earnestly. From a pure heart that is given to truth. And this personal holiness comes as you just devote yourself to God and his word and a love for others. He says, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Calvary, if we are known for anything, let's be the church in our community that is rock solid biblical on truth, on truth, grace, uh, on uh, truth and grace, on love and truth. Let's be biblical about that. Now watch this. All truth can come across as hard. And it can make people cynical. And all love can be mushy and gushy. And it can transform no one because the power of the gospel is not in it. But the love of God that he has for us is this wonderful love. It's this wonderful truth. It's found in his word. Through the gospel of Christ. And we embrace all of it. Not just part of it. If you understand it. Say amen. Father will you work in our hearts today. Thank you God. For working the holiness of Christ. In us. And through us. Thank you God. For accrediting your righteousness. To us at the cross. God thank you for. Accrediting our sin and our unrighteousness to Christ at the cross. Thankful, Lord, to you today. We are thankful that, God, you are working in us and you're not through with us. And so, Father, you help us to be a people who are just biblically faithful. And, Lord, that we seek you with all of our heart. And that we not only say in a casual way, yeah, we're not built for this life, we're built for another life, but that, God, we would totally embrace this call of holiness. And so, God, may that be for everyone in this place. For our youngest child who is up there in children's worship, who's been born again Followed you in believers' baptism and it's beginning to grow in Christ-likeness. God, to the oldest saint here who does their very best to get up, get dressed, and get here to worship you. And for all of us in between, God, I pray that you would mark us by your holiness. Set us apart. Make us distinct. So that when the people of the world look at us, they would say, that man and that woman, that boy or that girl, they're different. And it must be because of their belief in God and and the Lord who is at work in them. And so God, may you be glorified in this place today. As we sing this song of invitation, I want to invite you to come. If you're here today and you would say, and my life is just so struggling right now I'm just struggling and my life is marked by unfaithfulness or unrighteousness and you want to pray what a brand new day to have a fresh start in the lord I want to invite you to come if you're here and you've never been born again and you would say I'm tired of turning over a new leaf every january I want God's life to not only be in me but to be living out of me I want to invite you to come as well Whatever need you have, you may want to be praying for a family member or a friend. You all be obedient as we lift our voices to Lord.